Hello, 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 and welcome back. This is the bonus part of today's show. I hope you are enjoying our foray, nuestra incursión, creo. See, guys, you aren't the only ones learning. I'm learning words in Spanish, and I'm starting to put them into practice. And I've noticed this. I'm not trying to brag here, but my Spanish has improved tremendously since I started producing FYI and the PDFs. So does it work? Well, I've seen you guys improve. I'm improving. I think we're doing okay. I think we deserve a pat on the back. Una palmadita. So give yourselves a pat on the back. You deserve it. All of you, each and every one of you. I'm serious. I'm so proud to have such driven students. And driven is another way to say motivated. But let's get back into today's topic, which is espionage, spying. There's one spy that I left out, que omiti. But you can't leave this guy out because he was instrumental. And he is perhaps one of the most famous or infamous, depending on which side you're on, one of the most famous or infamous spies ever. And this was a gentleman who was born in Serbia. So he was Serbian. But he had allegiance to Britain. Allegiance is his colors were really the British colors. And the guy's name, and again, here's my pronunciation, my Serbian pronunciation, Dusan Dusko Popov. They call him Popov. And uh, he served as a secret agent for MI6 during World War II. And he was one of the most notorious ones, as I said, but one of his most notorious moments in his espionage career was in 1941 when his efforts led him to believe that the Japanese were planning an assault on an American military base in the Pacific. Maybe it rings a bell. It's called Pearl Harbor. That's right. So he relayed that information to the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. This was in August of 1941, four months, for those of you who are history buffs, four months before the attack ultimately took place. So this guy was spot on. Now, here's the question, and it's probably the question you're asking yourself and the question I asked myself. Why didn't we do anything? Why didn't the FBI react? And it was because they didn't trust him. They didn't trust Popov. They're like, this guy's a double agent. He's giving information and getting information. He's working for both sides. So they didn't act on that warning. And some have criticized Edgar Hoover, the, the head of the FBI at that time. In fact, he's a very controversial figure. J. Edgar Hoover. There's a movie about him, and I'm sure we could do an episode. But because he didn't trust Popov, he said, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to take action. And we all know what happened at Pearl Harbor. And Popov's career, his espionage career, was so influential that while he was working in intelligence, he worked alongside author Ian Fleming. Does that name ring a bell? Ian Fleming? James Bond? 
the creator of James Bond? Yeah, well, Ian Fleming was serving as a naval intelligence officer, and they were working together at the same time, and many believe that Popov was one of the inspirations for the fictional spy James Bond. Now, I said one because we're going to look at some other ones as well, but it's interesting because you'd think it was one guy, but he got a lot of different personality traits, I think you say rasgos, and put them together. Why not? I love, you know, Hollywood has a rule. They have a rule, and their rule is don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. And I think it's brilliant. It doesn't have to be one person. It can be a mix, you know, uh, some kind of collage of many people. So some who have inspired James Bond, this classic character, Patrick Dalzell Job. He was a fearless member of the 30 Assault Unit. And they said that he was one of the inspirations as well as Popov. Also, Fleming's dashing brother, Peter. O sea, su hermano era guapísimo. And he's like, well, I want him to be handsome. I want him to be dashing like my brother. And uh, also the British spy and expert skier, esquiador, which we've all seen James Bond on skis, Conrad O'Brien French. And he was a guy who befriended, to befriend is to hacerse amigos, he befriended Fleming in Austria before the war. Another person is soldier, writer, and politician, Sir Fitzroy McLean. He was a member of the SAS. Wilford Dunderdale, a guy named Wilford Dunderdale. And he was in the MI6, the head of the station in Paris during the early part of the war. And he's another one that they put forward to put forward as a thief. Este, este aquí. And they put him forward as one of the real-life Bonds. And when they asked Ian Fleming, and he mentioned that, okay, yeah, all of those guys had an influence on me. But he later described a guy named Sir William Stevenson. And he was the head of the MI6 station in New York. And when they asked him, he said that this guy was not so much a direct model for Bond, but he was the real thing. So I guess it was a mix of different people, and he wrote about what he saw. And that's what they say, the best writing comes from real life. Now, let's be honest, though, not all of us get to work with spies, do we? <laughs> but I never imagined, I don't know about you guys, but I never imagined that James Bond was a composition of so many different characters. And what was I saying before about that bird-watching connection? I said something about bird-watching, ornithologist, que no se usa mucho, por eso me ha costado tanto. In English, we say bird-watchers. And, well, Fleming took the name of his character, James Bond, from an American ornithologist, or bird watcher named James Bond. That's right. So the name was a definitely from one guy. The character traits came from different people. And this guy, James Bond, was a Caribbean or Caribbean, you can pronounce it both ways, Caribbean or Caribbean bird expert. And he wrote uh, several books. 
And Ian Fleming himself, the author, the creator of James Bond, was a keen or an avid bird watcher himself. And he had a copy of one of Bond's books, this guide called Birds of the West Indies. And he said, you know, he said, and I'll quote his words, it struck me, okay, me pareció, me, me tocó la fibra sensible, me, me sorprendió, it struck me that this brief, unromantic, Anglo-Saxon, and yet very masculine name was just what I needed. And so, a second James Bond was born. Those are Ian Fleming's words. But enough about James Bond. Jaime Vinculo. <laughs> okay, well, a bond is un vinculo. To bond with your friends and with your students and with your family is crear buenos momentos, buenos recuerdos. I always love that word, to bond. I love bonding with people. Why not? It's uh, in, I think you would say creando lazos or something like that. All right, well, let's take a look at some vocabulary related to this topic. The first word I wanted to look at is stool pigeon. ¿Qué? Yeah, you heard me right. Stool es taburete and pigeon es paloma. But a stool pigeon es un chivato, un soplon. We also say a rat. Now, in school, though, we would use a different word. We would say a tattletale. And to chivarse is to tell on someone. Or, a little more slang, to rat somebody out. These are different ways to say chivarse. But a stool pigeon, a rat, a snitch, those are different ways to say somebody who you can't trust to keep quiet. We already looked at a honey trap, which is using seduction to, to attract somebody. Blackmail is another one. I don't think we've mentioned this in the episode yet. Correo negro? Well, no. Blackmail means chantaje. So blackmail means they get some information on you. They've got some pictures of you in a, you know, in a situation maybe you shouldn't have been in. And they're going to use it against you. And that stinks, man. I, uh, you got to be careful what you say and do. That's why I always say, just be real. You know, keep it real and you've got nothing to hide. But also, we got to be careful with that. And we'll talk about that later on in the show. Because a lot of times we let big companies, big tech, as we call them, and we let governments spy on us and get a lot of extra information because we've got nothing to hide. Yeah, but we also have a right to privacy. There has to be a middle ground, un punto medio. Another word that comes to mind is to set somebody up or a setup. And this is, I think you say, tender una trampa, to set somebody up. So you sell them drugs, but you're an undercover officer. Undercover means que estás en ropa normal. I think you say infiltrado. And you're trying to fit in. Remember, we used that word before. Or to blend in is the way to say it. And we said to stand out es el inverso. And to stand out in a negative way is to stick out like a sore thumb. That means that uh, you're destacando, pero no por algo positivo. Because you can stand out in your English class. You can stand out in your company, destacar. But in the negative sense, it's to stick out like a sore thumb. Sobresales como un pulgar que está dolido, hinchado. 
it makes sense. Another way to say to spy on somebody, at least by listening, is to eavesdrop. This is an interesting word, to eavesdrop, or to listen in on somebody's conversation, which is interesting because this has two prepositions. Are you listening in on my conversation? Are you eavesdropping? Are you wearing a wire? ¿Qué? ¿Un cable? Bueno, un cable conectado a un micro. Vamos a ser honestos aquí. A wire. Y hay una serie. There's a TV series, very popular one, called The Wire. Y no es por el cable en sí, un cable, sino un micrófono oculto. You're where, are you wearing a wire? Another way we say this to a hidden microphone is a bug. But this is different. Piénsalo, bicho pequeño. To bug something would be more to put the microphones in a room, to hide them somewhere. To hide is esconder, ocultar. So to bug a room, or the room is bugged. Another way we say too is to tap the phone lines. These are different ways that people can eavesdrop, can get the information that they're looking for. They have undercover agents who wear a wire, they bug a hotel room, And you got the old-fashioned way. You got those recorders, esas grabadoras. And remember, we all have recorders in our pocket. Remember, your phone is a recorder as well. Something I think about as well when I think about spies, I guess this is part of the glamorizing it, but really, they had to do it back in the day, is cracking codes to crack or to decipher a code. And they had all these different gizmos and gadgets You know those words? Gizmos? Gadgets? I've got gizmos and gadgets aplenty. I've got gizmos and gadgets galore. I don't remember the exact words, but if you recognize that tune, that's the Little Mermaid, right? So gizmos, gadgets, contraptions, cosas, artilugios, I think is the word in Spanish. And not just gadgets that'll help you crack a code, but nobody had better gadgets than James Bond. I mean, he was the original gadget guy. Another thing secret agents or assets have to do is cover their tracks, cubrir sus huellas. So you can say it literally, but more times, more often than not, we say it figuratively. Hey man, if you're gonna do that, cover your tracks, right? You don't want to leave a trace, un rastro. We say also without a trace, sin rastro. And these are all words and expressions that are related to espionage, but they're not limited to espionage. We can use them in the real world, as I say. And then there's a mole, and a mole is topo, espia, infiltrado, pero también es lunar. And if you guys have seen Austin Powers, I can't recall exactly which one it was, but there's a scene where there's a guy and he has a mole and he is a mole. So they play with that visual gag. And he goes, are you a mole? And there's a mole on his face. So topo, espia, no? Espia, topo, o lunar. It's a double trouble for those of you who love double troubles. Another one that comes to mind is the 411. What is that? It's a number. Well, yeah, it's a number. It's a phone number. In the United States, before we had Google and we were connected 24-7, we had 411. And 411 was a phone number that you would call and you would get the 411 you needed, the information. So 411 
has become synonymous with information. What's the 411? Did you get the 411? That's information. Another way to say it too is, y esta viene de periodismo más que nada, pero se usa the scoop, la historia. What's the scoop? Tell me the scoop, la película, la historia. So these are, again, words that come from this world, but they're not exclusively used in this world. Another one is cloak and dagger. And this is a way, it's a, a way to call a genre, un género. And it's de intriga y misterio, cloak and dagger. And the word cloak means capa, o manto, o velo, ¿no? Algo que eh, esconde algo. Something that conceals something. And a dagger, ¿te suena? Daga. So cloak and dagger is these kind of stories. And now I'd like to take a look at some fun facts. Now, it's not just me who's fascinated with espionage. Nope. It seems like it's a global thing. If not, there would be no such thing, no existiría, the International Spy Museum. That's right, there's an International Spy Museum. It's located in Washington, D.C., which, by the way, we have an enthralling episode on Washington, D.C. Enthralling is another way to say really exciting. And this non-profit museum basically documents tradecraft. Oh, I didn't tell you that. You could call it spycraft, but they prefer to call it tradecraft. It's like they don't want to be called spies. They want to be called assets. It's semantics. But this museum holds the largest collection of international espionage artifacts on public display. The museum opened up in the year 2010 in Washington, D.C., and it has more than 7,000. It has or it houses, alberga, contiene, it houses more than 7,000 artifacts. About a 1,000 of them are on display at any given moment. There are historical photographs, interactive displays, and so much. It's not just about modern-day espionage. They talk about what we talked about in the first part. So you'll see documents and things from Greek and Roman empires, the Egyptians, as we said, the Middle Ages, the Renaissance, the Cold War, the Civil War. Let's be honest. Spying has been a part of every major conflict since basically the beginning of recorded time. Absolutely enthralling. Fascinating. Oh, and speaking of fascinating, we've got a couple writers who were involved in espionage. Well, I don't mean that they were writing about espionage. Well, possibly as a result of it. But in 2009, they found that Ernest Hemingway was a failed KGB spy. Failed. Que fallaba. Que no, no llegó a serlo. KGB those were the Soviet spies. So, Ernest Hemingway. Also, the writer, Roald Dahl. You, know all, you all know Roald Dahl, famous writer. He was supposedly a spy for the British government. And his mission was to seduce powerful U.S. women. That's right, American women. In order to, con el fin de, gather 
useful intelligence. So I had no idea. I mean, they made the guy, eso es, le forzaron. They made the guy sleep with countless women in high society. Oh man, poor Roald Dahl. How difficult that might have been for you. <laughs> and many of you are familiar with his works, James and the Giant Peach and uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Definitely an interesting character, but I didn't know he had ties, conexiones, he had ties to this kind of activity. Also, I'd like to tell you about the telltale staple. What? Well, speaking of writers, there's a famous play called The Telltale Heart, and that is by Edgar Allan Poe. But the word telltale eh, es que te deja translucir, no revela algo. So this is a telltale sign. Es un signo revelador, indicio, no una señal, telltale, que literalmente es que cuenta un cuento. So a telltale staple, well, what does that mean? Well, a staple also has another meaning. A staple is una grapa, y grapar is to staple something, but also a staple is something basic. A staple in the Spanish kitchen is olive oil, right? That's a staple, algo básico, que no, no podríamos vivir sin ello. So the telltale staple, well, I'm talking about grapas in this case. But Russia had a very subtle trick. Subtle is sutil. A very subtle trick to identify hundreds of spies. And this was using staples. What they realized was that the Americans would use really good quality staples to staple their top secret documents. And these staples were rust proof. Rust proof es que no, no se oxidaban. They wouldn't get rusty. They were rust proof. Like bulletproof is antibala. Soundproof, insonorizado. Ooh, that's a difficult word for me. So when they would see the documents, they would take a look at the staple. And the Russians used cheaper staples, more affordable staples. But their staples left behind a rust stain. Una mancha de oxidación. So you could tell where it came from, whether it was coming from the Kremlin or whether it was coming from the United States or Germany or any other country that was using spies. Oh, excuse me, assets. And we're going to wrap up today's episode talking about how all this affects us today. You know, putting it into the current situation, the situation we're living in right now. And as we speak, as I record this, I'm sitting next to my smartphone and possibly being listened to. Somebody might be listening in on this conversation right now. And that is the problem because I'm not a criminal. I have nothing to hide. And I think my privacy should be respected. Now, I agree. That's my fault. I didn't read the fine print and I clicked okay or I agree. But also, we have to inform ourselves, guys. We're talking about our right to privacy. And governments now 
have gone full. I mean, they're in battle mode. They want every piece of information on everybody. And when I say governments, I mean governments, government institutions, the NSA in the United States, they, uh, they're very controversial. The National Security Agency. Why? Because they're tapping people's phones. They're checking people's emails. And you and I are thinking, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. This is to catch the bad guys. But at what price? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to give up our privacy that we fought for that's in our Constitution so that we can catch the bad guys? I'm sorry, but I'm not seeing as many bad guys out there as they claim. Now, I'm not saying that extraordinary situations call for extraordinary measures. But leave the normal people alone. Leave us alone. We're sick of being tracked. Ubicados por nuestro móviles. We're sick of it. We're sick of you guys knowing. And when I say you guys, I mean big tech. I mean government. They're in bed together. Knowing what time I go to the bathroom. And what my favorite music is. I'm kind of sick of it. And this is a big debate right now. It's a heated debate because we leave a digital footprint. Yes, the phone is convenient and our computer and having everything in Gmail, but what's the price we're paying? And I'd like to end there, just posing that question, how much is too much? And folks, I'd love to give you more info about espionage, but if I told you anything else, I'd have to kill you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of FYI.